Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. It's the final show of the season, and it's time to talk about some cup finals. As the NWSL Challenge Cup wraps up, the Champions League finale is just around the corner as several top Americans have played in and are looking forward to playing in some big matches. That leaves us with plenty to break down as we head into a busy summer. For Amy Ruskai, I'm Ryan Tolmich, and this is all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Amy, it's the final show of the season. It's been a long season. It's been a lot going on. We've talked to some incredible guests, and there, there's still plenty to discuss today. Uh, how are you doing heading into today? Good, good. How are you? Good. It's a it's a busy time in, in women's soccer, in, no matter where you are, you know, whether you're uh, in Europe like yourself or in the U.S. like me. We have, we have a lot going on with the NWSL Challenge Cup, uh, the NWSL season kicking off, the Champions League uh, going full speed ahead. So, yeah, we have plenty to discuss today, huh? Yeah, just as our season ends, the, the NWSL season kicks off. Um, good way to, to kind of lead into the new season and, and let everybody enjoy the action for a few days while we take a, a bit of a break. Absolutely. So let's just let's start right off with the NWSL because there's obviously a lot going on right now with the end of the Challenge Cup, with the start of the regular season. There's just so much going on for the league right now. Obviously, the Challenge Cup just finished. North Carolina Courage beating the Washington Spirit in the finale in, in a clash of, of what we would probably say are two of the top teams. You know, having seen their performances throughout the Challenge Cup and, and having seen how everything kind of shook out, are they the favorites for the championship this year? And in and, and looking at the Courage in particular winning this tournament, how important was it for, for them to have this, you know, especially after losing heart, in heartbreaking fashion in the playoffs last year? Yeah, I think the spirit and the courage are definitely up there. I think, you know, obviously the courage went through a lot of stuff off the pitch last year as well. Um, it was really nice to read some quotes kind of from the manager and, you know, some of the players after about, you know, what a great space they're in and things like that after everything that, that happened last year. Um, and, you know, they, they are a team that has historically won titles and there's a lot of new players and this is a new group, obviously under a new manager. Um so I think for them moving forward, it's massive for them to get that that title, um, and yeah, I, th I think I think they're definitely two of the teams that we we maybe expected to be up there. Um, I think there are other teams as well that are that are in contention. I mean, you look at Owell Rain and Portland Thorns will always be a contender with the team that they've got, and you know Chicago, one of the teams that have been getting some results despite you know missing Mal Pugh and Morgan Gautreaux. So I think that. There's, they're definitely two of the front runners. There's quite a few other teams up there as well and, and probably some teams that can cause some upsets as well. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the takeaways, even that 
you look at this tournament, and obviously, look, you look at the teams that were in it uh, all the way through. They're the teams that you mentioned, the ones that 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 are considered the quote unquote contenders that are will be there most likely at the end of the season. Obviously, the spirit and the courage there. You talked about Oil Rain, who will probably feel uh, pretty hard done by how they went out. You know, I was reading some of the quotes, and uh, they seemed obviously less than thrilled uh, after everything that went down. Is that is that that how you kind of see the league this year? Does it seem a little bit more open? Like obviously, like you said, there's a lot of teams that can contend, and and this tournament answered a few questions, but not all of them, right? Yeah, and I think the way that it went on last season, nobody really expected the spirit to come through and win the championship. So if if it's a, if that's an indicator of how open it could be this year, then we should be in for another really good season. But um, I thought it was cool to see the spirit kind of maintain that form that they had at the back end of last season. Sometimes you get that that new manager bounce or whatever they call it, um, and they had such an incredible run to the end of last season to win the title to then carry it over into this season. It's just fun to watch as a neutral. Like you're always like when the spirit are on form they're always so much fun to watch so i think um yeah it's kind of set the season up quite nicely mm-hmm. now one of the the big takeaways at least for me was how well the u.s women's national team striker pool has kind of handled the last few weeks and you look at i know we've talked about this extensively about you know the balancing of of the veterans versus the the younger players and when you look at the leading scores of this tournament and the leading scores to start the season it's it's everyone that the u.s women's national team would want scoring you know you've hatch rodman pew morgan all among the tournament's leading scores you know alex morgan obviously continuing that as they as they move on it's getting a, a big four goal game you know how does how does that kind of set up these players for the regular season, you know, especially with the U.S. Women's National Team around the team camp around the corner. How does it kind of set things up in, in that, you know, what is essentially a pretty big position battle? Yeah, I mean, it's quite cool because I guess to see other people scoring goals, you see a lot of goal scorers that talk about like, they obviously don't think, oh, I want to win the golden boot. Like that's not their first thought. It might be an afterthought, but the most of the time their thought is to, to win titles with their team. But I think when other strikers are kind of like in the league, like scoring loads of goals and doing cool things, like eggs the other competition on, right? Like it keeps your kind of rivals like on their toes. And, you know, a lot of strikers will talk about that. Um, and I think with like Alex Morgan not being in the, the US Women's National Team camp, and we can relate this to Kristen Press a little bit as well, who scored a couple of goals in, in the Challenge Cup. The fact that, you know, not the fact that they will have been complacent when they were in the US Women's National Team. But, you know, they've kind of been told by Andonovsky, some of these players that are, that are not there, that, you know, you have to show that you've got it, what it takes to come back into this team. And I think that to add that fuel to the fire of players that have won so much and are such accomplished goal scorers, like, makes things quite exciting because, like, when was the last time that you saw a sort of Alex Morgan come out to prove that she can be the US Women's National Team striker? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's quite, you know, it's it's giving fuel to one of the, the country's best goal scorers. And I think that's quite cool because it's not often that you see that. Yeah, like you said, it's it's not that they've been written off. It's that they've kind of been giving a clean slate and that they have the chance to obviously go out and and, and compete with these young, hungry rookies as if they were young, hungry rookies themselves. You know, you're seeing Alex Morgan playing in a way that that is 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 putting her right back into contention and proving that she is who we all know she is, and, and nothing's changed. You know, that is one of the interesting things about way that the national team has been set up now, and that none of these players have written off, none of these players have been thrown to the side. You know, they're all still a very in it, but they've all been given this clean slate to kind of prove themselves, and, and obviously Alex Morgan is one of the players, and you mentioned press in there, that are kind of doing that. 
Yeah, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see as the, the season goes on. Like, there will be a lot of these players that haven't been in the US Women's National Team that, you know, have previously and have been for many years. And they're kind of given this new fire. Not that they, again, not that they need it, not that they're, like, falling off or anything, but, like, this is another thing driving them. And I think that's quite interesting. And we mentioned it in previous shows, like, to see how that unfolds. If Alex Morgan is, like, right up there as the NWSL's top scorer, then she can't really be ignored in terms of, like, bringing her into the camp, you would think. But will Andonovsky continue to go with the youth? Will he bring in these veterans? That's the really interesting kind of side note, I think, for the rest of the NWSL season, like, as it goes on. And these players that haven't been in camps are performing really well, how it affects the selection that he brings in. Yeah, and, and just looking at Morgan and, and Press in particular, obviously they have that personal clean slate, but they also have that that sort of clean slate as a club and that they come in with expansion sides that are very much figuring it out on the fly. And that's one of the things with an expansion team, especially when you're thrown straight into a cup competition like this, it's never going to be easy. And you look at the group that they both face and they had, they had teams in there that, that are not easy to play against. And it, it's tough to really get thrown into that as, as an expansion team that's learning on the fly, that's adjusting to chemistry, adjusting to the people around you and, and going into a tournament that is really, really competitive. But you look at the way they handled it and both obviously finished the tournament with good results. And then you look at, you know, especially like you said, with Morgan kind of leading the way, there's there there seems to have been a little bit of a leap taken with with the wave. You know, what can we expect from the expansion teams going forward? Did you learn anything about them from from what you saw? I think we've seen that both can hold their own against the best teams in the NWSL already. I mean, you know, the wave held their own against OL Rain and then. Um, Angel City beat North Carolina Courage but then you also have that kind of like inconsistency that naturally comes because you are putting together a fresh roster and it is players that are you know playing together for the first time and you know new managers with new groups and things like that so like you know the fact that Angel City beat North Carolina and then lost to Orlando Pride was like if they beat North Carolina a lot of people might have thought oh well you know they should be able to beat the Pride but you know, that's the way that the NWSL works in terms of how competitive it is. But also, you know, these I think we've seen that the teams, they both have what it takes to be really good teams, but it is just about that cohesion and chemistry and things like that in the first year. Um, you know, I think Indel City is still searching for that like real connection attacking sense, but and then like the wave maybe haven't been as clinical as they might have thought. Like that game against Gotham, they like broke like tons and tons of records for like shots or all the, I think it might have been expected goals or something. I saw loads of stats floating around on social media for it. Um, I think I even saw a um, Casey Stoney quote saying she hoped that they just got, she wished they just scored more and they won 4 0. So, like, there are always going to be these little things because they're expansion teams, but they've both shown that if they won't be in the playoffs, they'll be one of those teams that a team trying to get in the playoffs, if they get them on their schedule, like right towards the end when it's like make or break you know, back-end stretch of the season. That's not a game that you're going to look at and go, oh, that would be an easy game. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to be really tough games, if nothing else. Yeah, and that's one of the things that, like, whenever you're an expansion team and you start off, there's obviously going to be those those rough patches, like you said, those consistency issues, those chemistry issues. And, and you look at where they are already, and like you said, there have you have to be a little bit impressed with some of the things that they've already sort of figured out. Like, you look, you don't see many expansion teams putting up four-goal games and then complaining about not having enough goals. Like that's the, obviously the standard is already already very high for two teams. And like you said, those aren't teams that you're going to want to play, you know, later on in the season, once they do have those things figured out, you know, it's a, 
it's a gradual process, but it, it seems like they're they're on a pretty good start with that, you know. Yeah, and I think you know, kind of coming into the season, I think a a lot of people were kind of like, oh, because of the star power that they brought in, you were looking at this team that's bringing in Christian Press or Alex Morgan, going, oh, they could be you know in contention for a playoff spot, and obviously. You know, they might sneak in and get one because these are two teams that have already shown that they've got the potential. But I think, if nothing else, it'll be a good year for them to kind of build on a lot of, you know, that natural stuff that comes with it being the first year, take that momentum into next season. I think both of them, maybe next season, will be going, yeah, we should be getting playoffs. And this season is kind of like a free hit in a way. Um, they're definitely both shown that they can they could get there if they had a little bit if they could figure things out earlier than you'd expect an expansion team to figure things out then anything's possible in this league i think we've learned that absolutely and and like we said anything is possible and and so much is going to change uh in the next couple of months as teams you know figure out their figure out themselves figure out chemistry improve you know everything like that but when you look at the the Challenge Cup in general it's sort of an interesting thing right and in that it's a it's a preseason kickoff tournament and and it's it, it's a good way to kind of judge where teams are, but it's also an imperfect way to kind of judge where teams are. You know, it turns out, you know, that some of the best teams did what they expected to do. And the six game group stage does offer a little bit more wiggle room or room for error than a typical tournament. But it, it's still soccer and there will still be some some rough patches for teams. There will still be some rough moments. It's not like a like a playoff series in baseball or or basketball where you get seven games. So there will be some some little some little things that maybe go go unnoticed or, or change as the season goes on. Looking at the tournament, is this enough of a sample size to kind of judge teams by? Like can you can you write some of these teams off already? Can you can you confirm that this team's good? Like how do you kind of see that after these first few games? Um, I don't think you can kind of write anybody off but I think you can definitely see like oh like for example the spirit like if people wondering oh wonder if they'll be as good as they were last year if they can continue that momentum people are looking and going yeah they're good like oh Rain, yeah they're good like there are teams that you're kind of like yeah this is confirmation of maybe a theory that they are good um or like just what you thought but I think in terms of it's weird because I don't feel like you can write teams off in the NWSL because it's just I mean, again, I say it again, like the what the Spirit did last season, nobody expected that and they went and did it. So I think it's, um, it's for, for me, it's such a weird format in general. I can't get my head around it because of where I am in the world, being in England, being in Europe and knowing that these kind of like domestic cups are played through the season. Um, it's that's what makes it so strange to me. Like I can't ever imagine like here in England like the FA Cup being packaged up as a little like month long tournament, two month long tournament played before the season. I think you know, I, for what I hope is that they kind of move it throughout and weave it throughout the season like that because I think maybe some teams it's kind of like pre season, it's you know trying to gear up for the league. And I know no team's never going to go. Oh, this means nothing to us, but. I think if you weaved it in and out throughout the season, maybe if a team is not going to get playoffs towards, but they're still in the Challenge Cup, then they might go all in and be like, "Yeah, let's win this trophy," and like it gives the team like something else to work towards. So I mean, we we've, we've seen it again here in England, like you know, Leicester won the FA Cup the other year. Like we see these sort of outsiders while everybody else is going like hell for leather for the playoffs because that's you know. They want that championship. There are teams that are like, right, well, we can't win the championship anymore, but we could win the Challenge Cup. And that's not like, oh, that's not as good because 
the FA Cup was a prestigious tournament here for so long, and I think that would maybe help elevate it. But I know some people might be like, oh, it's nice like this, it separates it. But traditionally, that's how I like to... I, I, think, I think it'd be cool if they weaved it in, but yeah, that's just me. Yeah, it is such... Like you said, it's such a weird weird system in that it's it's somewhat americanized and in, in the way it is and obviously part of that was for a reason and that like it, it kept the league afloat during the pandemic it was very important for for the league to to have that and in in the years since it's really been a good you know a good tool for the league to kind of market itself and get eyeballs and and, and get people interested in the product because at the end of the day it's fun you know to see all these teams go head to head in a tournament format you know it's 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 a fun way to introduce people to the league to to get the stars on TV to get people following but on the other hand it is also you know it, it's it's tough man like it's tough to come out of preseason or to have this tournament that people take very seriously like there are teams like you said there are teams who do it sort of differently than other ones but when you look at just the scheduling and, and the you know going into that especially like when you look at the expansion teams or who are trying to build to get thrown right into the deep end of a tournament like that it's it's tough and then you look at the other aspect of it and it's the teams that that do go far that do make it to the final you get it's a tough schedule. Is it's tough, and obviously it's it's worth it in some ways financially. It's worth it in some ways, you know, reputation wise. But do you think that this is, you know, like I, I know you said that you would like to see it kind of change. Do you think it it could change? Do you think there could be moves? I know I'm pretty sure next year they have it pretty much set up to go the same again. But do you think that this tournament could do uh, something different, or is it good to have it kind of be this quirky little preseason thing? I guess in a way it's good because it marks out as different. And, you know, it's not just like, oh, we have a domestic cup as well and it works the same as everybody else's domestic cup sort of thing. Um, I guess that's good to set it apart. You know, maybe it whets the appetite for people that are, like, gearing up for the NWSL season. It certainly makes things um, a little easier going into the NWSL season when you're kind of, like, thinking about who's going to win it or something. You've actually seen the teams in something more meaningful than, like, oh, they had good pre-season results. Um, so I think it does have its pros, um, and I think it's a good thing to, to kind of like, especially if it's sort of like expansion teams or teams that are going through mass transition to kind of get them to test things out before the regular season comes and things like that. Um, there are pros to it. And I mean, I guess it just lays with the league, right? It just lays with like whether they see value in moving it to be more like a weave through the season or whether it's best leaving it as it is. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see because I, th- I thought it was weird this year the way it kind of overlapped with the beginning of the NWSL season in that the champion the Challenge Cup sorry is just finished but we've already had like two games per club for thingy so I don't know I think it's still one of those things that they're trying to figure out because like you say it was introduced like kind of in the pandemic as like this thing and then everybody liked it so they're like oh let's keep it I think they're still trying to figure out what to do with it so might be open for change. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. Looking across, you know, the Atlantic, looking at, at what's going on in Europe right now, obviously it's it's not American club soccer, but it is a big moment for several American players, you know. As a U.S. Women's Soccer Show, there there are two U.S. Women's National Team players that, that, that could win a Champions League title this month for the first time. And Macario and Haran, both playing for the U.S. for Lyon. 
Uh, big time club in Europe, obviously one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious club. And they're facing a team in Barcelona that has has really established itself over the last few years as as a dominant force, both on and off the field. You know that final coming up, you know, in in about a week and a half. Amy, what are your what are your thoughts kind of going into that? Yeah, I mean, I think for anybody like this, followed the rise of Barcelona. Like this is the perfect narrative final. Like, and it was one of those things where like. I said it to some of the journalists when it was building up to the game. I was like, if it is Barcelona versus Lyon, everybody's going to use the same narrative. We're all going to have to think of different like ways to attack the final. I'm going to have to use my brain more because it's like when, for those that don't know the story, when Barcelona building up to winning the Champions League as they did last year for like 10 years, and it was actually, they played Leon in the 2019 final and they lost 4 1 and they were really like heavily beat. This was Leon's, like, what was it, the fifth in a row, the fourth in a row at the time? Fourth in a row, I think it was, off the top of my head. And they were just in their pomp. They were just like the best team in Europe and they just showed it. And that was like the making of Barcelona today because they got, they kind of knew that's where the level they needed to be at to be European champion. So in that way, it's like the perfect narrative final because it's like where it all started for, for basketball, well, not where it all started, but kind of where their rise to how good they are now started. And it's also good because there's Leon have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because in the last year and a bit, everybody's been talking about Barcelona. Look how good Barcelona are. They're setting new standards. They're breaking all the records. They've got 90-odd thousand at Camp Nou. Do you know, this is what women's football should be. Barca, Barca, Barca. And Leona kind of sat there like, whoa, we won the Champions League seven times. Like, we are the most dominant, like, team in Europe. We are, like, one of the best, probably the best team in women's football history, certainly at club level. And Ada Hegerberg did a, an interview with uh, Lequipe in France last month, and she kind of said, oh, you know, women's football was played before Barcelona. It was played here in Lyon. And it was kind of like, you know, don't forget about us. So I think in the ways, it's like the perfect narrative final. It's, um, it's set up very well. Now, I wanted to ask you just about Barcelona because you've been, you've sort of had a, a pretty good seat to them uh, in recent weeks, having gone there, having having seen up close what, what that's all been like. And obviously you mentioned so much of the, the on-the-field stuff and where they've gone and what that club has become, but it's also the off-the-field stuff, like you said, and that obviously, look, football was played uh, before Barcelona, but the way they're doing it is obviously at a different level than what we've seen. What has it been like to kind of see that rise to a point where you have you know 90-something thousand fans at a stadium for a, a women's game? That's something that's sort of been unprecedented and something that they've sort of made a habit of doing. What's it been like kind of seeing their rise and how important has their rise been for the women's game in general? Yeah, it's been good because it's like I did um I did a piece before the the final last year when they when they won it for the first time. And it's one of my favorite pieces that I've written because it was really interesting to sit and talk to two of the people that were more, like the two head of women's football in the last decade for Barcelona about the steps that they took from basically like nobody really knowing they even had a men's team to them eventually going to become European champions and it was just simple things that they introduced like obviously making them professional was one and like the style of play and investing in the academy and like all this and I think one of the things that stands out for me with Barcelona is just how they market the team so like I went to bat I went to both of the um the record-breaking games and to like walk around Barcelona like it's not just 
you know you're seeing this this advert with PK on or Pedri on like there's there's a massive banner that hangs off the Camp Nou that says La Reina and it's Alexia Pateleus and like there's a mural of Alexia Pateleus in the centre like there's all these kind of commercial things that are naturally just usually the men have also got the women on like the club shop there's like the, uh, the starting 11 as it would be for the men with all the shirts on the backs obviously you buy the shirt with Tostegan on or PK or whatever and then on the other side is like the women's team lineup like with all the mannequins and it's got you know Ashwala and Pateas and Bomati. I think like it's just been really cool to see how they just put the women at the center of the marketing um and you know I know Leon have set the standard for so long so 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 long um and it's been but in Spain you know it's been really good to see Barcelona kind of go to people this is what you could do if you invest in the women's team this is what you could do you can have 9,000 people here you can have the Ballon d'Or winner you can have you know people genuinely interested and you know it's it's showing that women's football is not just like oh it's like a charity but it's actually like a business and you can you know reap the rewards of it um and they certainly are and that's obviously something Leon has been doing for years and that they've like you said established themselves as sort of the brand of women's football for the last you know decade decade and a half whatever it is and obviously they're the team that that sort of has the 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 heart of the American casual in this one because they do have the Americans on the team uh, with Macario leading the way, nominated for player of the year in Liga 1. Like, obviously, just having a very good year has adjusted to life, you know, in Europe incredibly since she's gotten there. What do you think about, you know, the way they are and especially with, with Macario and Haran and how they fit into it? Yeah, I mean, Macario's been sensational this year. I think it really helped that she got there in the middle of last season. So she kind of had the first six months to kind of, you know, learn a bit of the language and like get herself settled in like one thing that anytime you speak to a player i notice when they sign for a club abroad is setting up a bank account which when i think about it now can you imagine setting up a bank account in a language that's not your language like because the terms like if you're learning a foreign language you're probably not i don't even know like the, the banking terms are probably not things that at the top of your list to learn. So that must be an incredible experience to go to a foreign country and try and set up a bank account. Um, but yeah, things like that, I think she's kind of, instead of, and you can imagine going into a team in the middle of the season, it's not like when you go in in pre-season, there's a lot more bonding, I guess, just because you're travelling and you're spending a lot more time together. Um, that's like, I guess, off the pitch stuff, like not just bouncing around games. So She's kind of had that time to settle in, and I think that's like just paying off. Because um, we all, I think there wasn't really anybody that, I mean, if there was, then they'll look a fool now, but I don't think there was really anybody that doubted that she'd go there and be so good. Um, it was just a matter of her settling in. But yeah, Leon, I think they're kind of using the fuel of last year. They got knocked out by PSG in the quarterfinals, and they lost the league title to PSG, PSG's first ever league title in the women's game. They're really using that as fuel. And they've got Arda Hegerberg back, and that is so big. Like, not just in terms of she'll score your goals, but she's just a big personality. So they're kind of, yeah, they're back to they're back to the old Leon. Definitely. Last season was just kind of, it was kind of a weird one. But, yeah, they're, they're definitely back. Now, you spoke about it a bit there, about how this is sort of the perfect narrative final and that you have the... I don't want to call them the old faces necessarily because they are still there, but Lyon as, as the the club that has been the the sort of standard bearer for women's football. And then you have Barcelona, who's who's sort of taking that crown over the last few years, especially when it comes to off the field stuff meeting up. And you can't 
you, you can't deny that the, the Champions League in particular has taken on uh, it's gone to a whole new level in recent years as you've seen clubs sort of investing in it and you've seen clubs take it seriously, the women's game, and, and seen clubs kind of turn this competition into what it should be in that a marquee competition. And you've seen the impact on that over here even in the U.S. where you see players going over to wanting to play in the competition who have talked about playing in the competition. You know, I was thinking back to a few years ago, I remember I asked Megan Rapino about what she thought about Barcelona's uh, investment in the women's game, and she she initially joked and said, "I'll play wherever the money's going." But then she followed it up by saying, "It, it was it was interesting to see that uh, all these other clubs are taking it seriously, and that the rise of a country like Spain and and joining a, a France, a Germany, a England, you know, all these countries sort of investing more is going to have an impact on the global marketplace and and the way the game is played." With more European countries taking it seriously, with more Americans sort of playing on this stage, will Americans be missing out if they don't play in the Champions League? Is, is that sort of the route we're going to? Or is it still going to be a thing where it's, it's, it's okay to play in WSL? Is it still going to be okay to play one or the other? You know, will, will there be positives or negatives to playing on either side? I think it just kind of opens up opportunities for players. I think we look in the past, you look at some of those star names of the US Women's National Team over the last 10 years, Rapino, Heath, Morgan, all played in France for like a really short spell, all played for Lyon or uh, PSG and kind of got that little taste of Europe, that little taste of Champions League, but only for like pretty brief stints. And I think that like maybe before it was kind of that elite level that like, oh, you want to come play Champions League and have a chance of winning it. You didn't have too many clubs that you could go to because... Yes, it was kind of, it was Lyon that was the dominant force. You had Wolfsburg challenging them. But over a sustained period of time, it was only really Lyon and Wolfsburg up there. Like Frankfurt won it in, in 2015, if memory serves. But they were, you know, they, not like one hit wonders, but, you know, they didn't maintain that for 10 years. So I think now that more teams are investing, it kind of opens up that window of opportunity for players. If they, you know, if they're not the best player in the world, it doesn't matter. Like if they're still one of the best players in the world, they can go and join a, a team that's got a decent chance of winning the Champions League. They can go and experience what it is to be in the Champions League, what it is to to play in Europe as well. And I think, I think a lot of some point it all depends on personal preference, doesn't it? Because some people, you know, will want to stay in the Indoor want to stay near home, want to you know stay with the club, and I will be happy. But I think for some people, they'll be like, oh, I'd like to do that before I hang up the boots, like. Why not? So I think it's um I think it's quite interesting. But what I do hope is the way that the Champions League's really been pushed and obviously the zone have been broadcasting it and everybody can watch it. I hope that like we get some more Champions League springing up. We got the African Champions League on the women's side, which has been good. And I know in Asia they're kind of trialing these like club cup championships. I hope we get like a CONCACAF one. Um, obviously we have the Copa Libertadores on the women's side which is really good to watch but I hope that kind of more of that international competition springs up I think because why not I think it should do Absolutely. And, and like you said, it's good for all these players to have options in particular. You know, it's it's the more people invested, the more potential clubs, the more potential leagues, the better it is for players to to, to do different things, to 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 not have to be sort of pigeonholed into doing one thing. You know, it's it's exciting. It's an exciting time. And and obviously it seems like there's there's a lot more to come. And and it's it's exciting to follow just 
the the way things are evolving and, and the options that players have. You look at you know someone like Macario who's who's made this choice and and, and gone to Lyon and it, it's worked out incredibly for. Her. And you look at some of the players that have chosen to go to NWSL and it's worked out incredibly for them. It's it's exciting in the same way that it is exciting in, on on the men's front or, or or on anyone front for for players to have these options to to go to not stay in your home country to go experience a different culture, a different system, a different coach, whatever it is. So it seems to be a good time. And like you said, this should be a, a fun Champions League final for the neutral, right? Yeah, I think I think just touching on that as well. I think like it's also cool because it's not like mutually exclusive. You don't have to go to the go to Europe and you can never play in the NWSL. So I think um, I think as well with the the player rights changing in the CBA this year, like you know the way that um, a team that you've got a bit more player control over movement and things like that. I think like some players will will go to Europe and then they're like, oh. I want to go back to the NWSL and maybe they're like, oh, but so-and-so have my rights and I don't know if I want to play there. Like, I think that more player freedom with that would be cool. But yeah, the, the Champions League fan, I mean, it should be a, a really good one and hopefully there'll be um, lots of people tuning in in America to watch it as well. Because, um, yeah, like, Makari and Haram flying the flag, but it should be a, a really, really good game just in general just to watch because, um, yeah, there's a little bit of fire bubbling there with them. Um, with the kind of little digs or not even little digs, but like, yeah, don't forget about us. So it should be quite a good one. Absolutely. And like you said, it's, it's the beginning of a lot of exciting things. You know, the champions league final that started the NWSL season, uh, us women's national team camp is, is right around the corner. Obviously it's about a month and a half away, but that'll sneak up on you. So it's an exciting time to be, uh, following, uh, the U S women's national team, U S women's soccer, you know, European soccer, whatever soccer right now on the women's side, there's always so much going on. But for us, this is the last show of our season. And uh, obviously, we're looking ahead to, to another season. We have some big things lined up that we're working on. It hopefully come back bigger and better. Amy, uh, looking back at the season, do you have any uh, any highlights and, and some moments that excited you? And what are your sort of uh, what are some of the things that really stood out? Yeah, I think we, we got some good interviews on this season. Um, I really enjoyed take one of the things that I kind of like low-key snuck under the radar for me until I kind of thought about it a few days later. When we... Um, when we spoke to Amina Ekic, I love when she said that um, her family used to play on the field where she now trains, like before the facility was built. And I realised that I was going back through the interview recently for something. And I was like, oh my God, that is such a weird twist of fate that like they would end up building a, f like, I just thought, yeah, I thought her story was really cool. And I, I love that we kind of got to dig into something that maybe too many people don't know about. Um, Obviously, lots of other highlights too, but yeah, that one stuck out for me just because I was digging through it recently. Yeah, and that's the thing is that there's so many stories to be told and, and, and so many interesting players and teams and personalities that that are, are still out there to discuss and and hopefully we'll be bringing more of those to you uh in the future and, and please listen back on some of these interviews like i said there's some there's some gems in there and there's a lot going on so if you haven't caught up please catch up please continue to follow along you know subscribe on uh whatever app you listen to us please uh tweet at, at myself or amy whoever please let us know what you want to see what you want to see more of and, and continue to listen on with us uh, for Amy Ruskai, this is Ryan Tolmich, and this has been this season of All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.